the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, and come on in the chat to join us. Uh, This is a Monday upon further review episode we had some significant results late Saturday night that we did not get a chance to really touch on as we were wrapping up our instant reaction. We had several games that we still had to spend our Sunday and Monday morning going back to review. We have college football rankings to discuss and much, much more. But we begin with some of the breaking news from Sunday and on into Monday as Georgia Tech is parting ways with Jeff Collins. But that's not all. Because we're also getting athletic director Todd Stansberry out the paint. Uh, This is a total upheaval from the president's office at the Georgia Institute of Technology. The Yellow Jackets, which were competing for conference championships in the ACC under Paul Johnson, one of the more consistent programs in the ACC Coastal Division throughout that sort of division play era, which is coming to an end this year. They've been woeful uh, under Collins. He came in, said he was going to move the offense away from the option attack. That offense has never finished better than 10th in the ACC. He said he was going to be this recruiting monster, and some of the best talent that he has gotten has also decided to transfer away. Jameer Gibbs, the most notable, but certainly not the only one that he's seen. He tried to reboot the coaching staff. None of it really worked out. Jeff Collins out. Georgia Tech open. This is our third Power 5 job. It is September 26th, and we have three Power 5 jobs already open. So I I think that we should bypass by the, like, you know, we, we all do these radio hits or, you know, but what the interview is like, number one, were you surprised? No, we were not surprised. <laughs> we were not surprised by the timing. We were not surprised by the decision itself. So I, I guess, like, D- Danny, I'll throw it to you first. Like, you are the new Georgia Tech athletic director. Before we start talking about candidates, like what are the priorities? What do you think like the vision is? Because school has to hire an athletic director. Athletic director's got to make a football coach hire. And we've got to take this once proud program and, and be able to find a way to make up a gap that has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the last four years. Uh, it's a big undertaking. It's a big task, but I think this program can do more. I mean, I think that's the big, like if you're the president, you say this is unacceptable. And all you have to do is look back at Paul Johnson, what he was able, able to do and say, and we all were more than patient with Jeff Collins. I think when I say all of us, I think all of us that, you know, analyze the game with boosters of Georgia Tech, fans of Georgia Tech realized what an overhaul that was going from a triple option attack to a more traditional attack. But after this much time, you should see progress. And that's the thing that I think is most frustrating. You didn't see any progress whatsoever. But I think you are in a talent-rich portion of the country where you've got to try to make inroads into the, you know, the ownership that Georgia has had on the state. Now, good luck doing that. There are academic restrictions. You don't have an unlimited purse strings that Georgia has. But where how far away you fall in chip is the best way. You've got to 
you got to cut into that gap at least and to be competitive in that game and to be competitive in the ACC. So I think right now it's pretty clear that the standard isn't up to par and you want to expect a lot more. I'm interested to see where they go with this. Uh, Collins was obviously a failure. Uh, you could argue in some ways he might have been set up to be a failure given that they were coming off the, the triple uh, and they had a you know COVID year mixed in for recruiting, but he, he really did a, a pretty poor job Overall, the offense was almost always worse than the defense, but the defense really was not very good. You're you're not really recruiting against UGA here. You're recruiting against Stanford, Northwestern, Notre Dame, and Vanderbilt, all who come in occasionally, some more than others, to these Atlanta private schools and pluck kids away. Those are the kids that you have to keep home if you want to win at Georgia Tech because you need to get some diamonds in the rough, but you also need to occasionally get those really good kids who can get into your school, and this is the thing that Georgia Tech coaches complain about privately, stay eligible in your school. Now, the transfer portal is has made this, to me, a worse job than the coaches I talk to think it is. Because let's say you're a kid like a Jameer Gibbs, right? And I'm not saying this is what happened, but if I'm another school, I'm going to go try to poach a kid who's really good at Georgia Tech going into year three and saying, hey, man, you got an NFL future, right? You can always go back to get your degree, this is that money year. Let's let's drop all this calculus stuff. Let's focus completely on football for that junior year so you can go pro early, right? And on the other side, as we talked about with some good academic schools like UVA, it is hard to get a lot of transfers into Georgia Tech because of the academics. So to me, I've downgraded this job. Everybody recruits more nationally now. I don't think being in Atlanta is as big of a deal as, as it once was. And I think the portal is a big-time net negative for this program. I wish there was a transfer portal when I was in high school because then I would have gotten out of my calculus class senior year because, God, I hated calculus. Uh, you know, this is like it's I think you guys are hitting all the key points. This is this is not an easy job to win, to just step in and start winning. And Danny, like you were saying, like, yeah, there was a huge adjustment going from running a flex bone offense to what they wanted to be. They wanted to be more of a modern pro style kind of approach and play the same way everybody else plays because I don't know, I guess they were embarrassed by the fact that they were winning games, but they were doing it with an offense that was seemed outdated. But like you were saying, that takes a time to transition, but there were absolutely no signs of improvement in any real noticeable area watching this team over the last few years. And it's like, by the time you get to year four, maybe you're not competing for a coastal division title, but you should be competing for a bowl game at the very minimum. And Georgia tech seemed like it was miles away from that. So this isn't a shock at all. I think it's probably the right move for the long term, And it's crazy that we've had three power five coaches fired before October and none of them are Brian Harson. All right. The other thing that you, you have to figure out if you're Georgia Tech, are you broke? Why are you scheduling? Like, like, we're about to do a special episode with Kent State today. Why are you scheduling like Kent State? Why are you playing road games at UCF and playing Ole Miss in the non-conference when you already play Georgia and your cross-divisional rival is Clemson? Mm-hmm. You're starting every year 0-2. Then you're going to play these crazy non-conference games? They did kind of the same stuff last year, right? So uh, I'm asking the AD, whoever that's going to be, assuming the AD's out as well. I, I yeah, well, we see, I was going to say that's expected. why – I no, no, it is. Like okay. this is yeah. – yeah, this this is why we're cleaning house because what is scheduling fall under? The athletic director. And mm-hmm. my understanding of the situation is that you, know, you say, are they broke? I think the answer is no. I think that the athletic director stood by Jeff Collins after last season and was like, okay. this is my guy. Like this is – this is, you know, we're going to stand by him. And as we see so often in, in college athletics, when the athletic director is like, nope, I stand by my hire, and then it tanks, it's like, all right, well, then you're out as well. This is, um, you know, Ken Segura of the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. He's been, he's been on that beat forever. I always like to – we've got a very good 24-7 site as well. That I Everything that I've sensed is that there has been a, a desire – already to stop this ridiculous scheduling to stop you know riding with jeff collins and putting up with his above the line depth chart and with all the gimmicks and to be able to really start to take this a little bit more seriously you mentioned a lot of the hurdles that do exist for georgia tech football but that's why i think we're seeing them totally clean house because you're right they need to change their scheduling and they need to try to put in a uh, a head coach that's going to be able to get this thing to work i mean look look at this future stuff they already have Right. If, if you're a head coach taking that job, 2023 at Ole Miss, host Georgia. All right, that's 0-2 in the non-con already. And they, they host Bowling Green. They should be Bowling Green. 24, 
Remember, they're in the ACC, so about, about every every four or five years, they're playing Notre Dame. 24, they have Notre Dame and Georgia. If I'm taking that job, we are not playing anybody in the non-conference other than Georgia or when it's absolutely mandated by the ACC to play, to play the Irish, ever. I want three MAC teams or FCS teams, and I know your, your season ticket holders will hate it, but if you're Georgia Tech, eight ACC games plus Georgia plus occasionally Notre Dame should be plenty of quality matchups. Making oh, a bowl is important. Well, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing Alabama in the non-conference coming up with a home-and-home. Yeah. What are we doing? Is that a true home-and-home? Home? Wait. It says we, 2030 Bama, 2031 at Bama. So not playing consecutive road games against the Sun Belt. It's not like Georgia Tech's the only team in the ACC doing this dumbass stuff with its scheduling. Georgia looked at Auburn and Tennessee and was like, huh, that looks fun. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's play Alabama and Georgia in the same season. Okay. Now, let's, let's get to it. Chat's calling for it, and clearly it is one of the biggest and buzziest aspects of this job because there is a figure in college football who is larger than life. There is a figure in Atlanta sports history who played for the Falcons. He played for the Braves, and he currently has a Jackson State team that ranks among the best at the FCS nationally. Currently the pick to win the SWAC and get to the Celebration Bowl with the chance to win that HBCU National Championship, it is Deion Sanders. So, Deion Sanders is the first name mentioned in Dennis Dodd's list of Georgia Tech coaching candidates. Is it the fact that it's Deion Sanders, the um, you know potential hot coaching candidate, and the Atlanta aspect to this? Do you think that given the unique challenges that Georgia Tech has, Deion's a good answer? Is this anything more than just like buzz? Oh, shoot. I didn't mean to do that. Buzz. <laughs> okay. Is, it, is there anything more about like a buzziness or a trendiness to this that makes you believe that we could be having an emergency podcast in early December where we are talking about Deion Sanders as the Georgia Tech head football coach? I don't think so. You can't rule it out, but I don't. If I'm Georgia Tech, I'm not hiring Dion. And it's got nothing to do with Dion. I just don't think that Dion is the right coach for this program. Because I think, honestly, like, what, what's if you hire Sanders, he's going to bring, like you said, buzz. He's going to generate a lot of immediate attention. People will be paying attention to your program. You will get headlines. And you will probably land a few recruits early in the process because of it. Because what Dion has done so far at Jackson State that has gotten him attention it hasn't been getting to the Celebration Bowl or winning games. It has been the recruits that he's been able to flip from FBS schools and get them to come to an FCS school. So maybe you win a few recruiting battles early on that get some attention. But like Bud was saying, Georgia Tech is a different animal when it comes to recruiting in that your pool of candidates is limited because of the academic requirements. So I don't know how well you will ever be able to recruit to Georgia Tech no matter who the coach is. But I also think that if even if you throw out the academic requirements – a mistake that a lot of schools often make, especially when they're struggling, is we need to get somebody in here who can recruit because we need to increase the talent level. And then you bring in a coach who has recruiting chops but hasn't really shown the ability to build a program. I think Georgia Tech needs somebody who can build a program because the program is in terrible shape. And the best way to convince good players to come to your school is to actually show them you're capable of winning games. So I don't think Sanders is a good fit for the Yellow Jackets in that aspect. If I'm Georgia Tech and the new AD, whoever that ends up being, the first name I am calling is Coastal Carolina's Jamie Chadwell because I think that he has shown at Coastal he can build a program. And also, if you think back to what Georgia Tech's most recent success was under Paul Johnson running that flex bone, Jamie Chadwell's not running an option offense, but he's running an offense that is basically a modern triple option offense. It just has more passing aspects to it. And I think that you bring that offense to it, you can fit in players who might not be five and four star guys who can fit in there and still have success. And you can kind of do like what Tennessee has done with Josh Heupel, where maybe you're not a great team, but you're scoring a lot of points and you're having fun and the fans are happy and it's generating buzz. And then maybe like Tennessee is currently having, you're also winning more games than you're losing and that things are going well. So I think Chadwell would make a ton of sense for Georgia Tech. He's number one on my board with a gap between him and anybody else at number two. You did just say Tennessee's not a great team, right? I don't think it's a great team yet. I think it's a good team. Fair. It's third best team in the SEC, though. Yeah, 
there's a difference though between great and good. There are very few great teams, but you can be good. And most programs sit there with the delusion that they can be great when they can't. Your goal should just be to be good. I had a hard time making a list for Georgia Tech. Uh, Dion certainly is on the list, given the the, the media figures who are, are connecting him to this job. Like he he has to be on there. I don't know if it would work out. Some of that probably is about about Coach Prime, but some of it is also about uh, what sort of resources he's going to have uh, to work with there. Right? Will will they continue to have more you know, degrees and whatnot that they can you know funnel kids into to keep them eligible? How do they deal with the transfer portal? I mean, do what you get of- Shador? You get Shador, right? And Shador hit the jump he's made from freshman to sophomore season. Is that good though? I mean, he's playing better at that level against F- against the FBS team he played though last year. I mean, it was it was not pretty, right? You're the, you're the scout. Right? In the portal. <laughs> what? Hank Bachmeyer's in the portal. You can go get him. No. Well, I think that maybe that whole staff's going to be in the portal pretty soon. Yeah, I was about to say we we're putting Boise State on auto fade, but you know, yeah. don't let that secret out just yet. <laughs> um, I. D- Danny, Dion. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, I don't think anything should surprise us. And as far as program building, I went back and looked, Tom, at Jackson State's schedule before he got there and their records. They weren't very good. I mean, he definitely infuses a ton of life and energy in the program. And I actually think, you know, this is watching some of the documentary stuff at Jackson State. I actually think he's a better coach than he gets credit for and a better disciplinarian than he gets credit for because of the flash, because he's... You know, he's known to be a brash, cocky player who talks a lot of smack, but he holds him to a high standard. I mean, he had he said some things this August, I think it was, when it came out, and he's like, I don't want you guys wearing tank tops. Like, he had all these dress code rules that probably would have had accusations of racism if it was at Iowa, but he's at Jackson State, and it's Dion, so he can do it. But, like, it's old-school mentality that he actually learned a lot of at Florida State. I think he would have more success than people think he told me, I interviewed him at the Super Bowl in 2019, I think it was. They had an SEC school lined up to take him. And it was an SEC West school that was coming off a disastrous hire from Clemson. Um, and he said it was a deal that was in place, and they just kind of panicked at the last second. You know, hey, you're too inexperienced. There are going to be more schools that come calling. Selfishly, when we were talking with Bud about this before, I'm, I hope he gets it or some other job so we can get taken off the Florida State table, at least for now. Because I think it's – and we talked about this. I think it would be one massive distraction and a really complicated, you know, situation if, you know, Florida State was in a position, which they clearly aren't now off to a great start. It seems like that conversation is nuts to even have. But four weeks ago, it was very much like, ooh, what happens if this season goes the wrong way? But I think it'll take some of that, just that chatter that takes place on message boards that's out there of, oh, you know, Dion coming back to to Tallahassee. And then the other thing, too, is Georgia Tech upside. Like, can they be great? I mean, I was a senior in high school, I think. I was a junior high school. We won a national championship. Like, this is a program. Granted, that's delusional now to think they could be that. But I do think eight or nine or ten wins is more than reasonable. And I would say they can be better than – Stanford, Vanderbilt, Northwestern. I think. I mean, are there academic standards that can they? And that's that would be an more in question if I'm. No, Dion. they're not as they're not as tough as Stanford. Or, but they or do have challenges, and that's yeah, my number sure. of question if I'm Dion or anybody else. How many players are you going to give me? You know, how many guys are we going to get that we can get in, and we're not going to have to listen to our academic standard? I need these guys, and I'm sure that's part of Dion's conversation if he's even thinking about this schedule. Is not only my son Shador can he get in? What about Travis Hunter and all these other guys? Because I guarantee you, if I'm if if those players or if it's Mike Zimmer as an analyst on the staff, I mean, you think he went to Jackson State just to learn behind Dion? I think there's a bigger picture in play here that everybody involved is aware of, and if there's a good opportunity, I think Dion's going to take it. The SEC school uh, Dion hadn't having that job and then not getting it is interesting because. I don't know if I buy the idea that they didn't hire him because of experience, like like he like he told you, because they hired a guy with an equal amount of coordinator and head coaching experience in Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman was an offensive line coach, right? Like so, I think it was more like Sam Pittman has this great staff lined up, right? You know, with with, with Odom and potentially Bryles, we, we can bring this here. I'll be figurehead. I can recruit type thing. It's I, I, we have heard though that Hunter Urasek, the AD at, at Arkansas, uh, was very impressed in his interview with Sanders. Yeah. Interesting. Which uh, which Munkin cousin would you want? 
Jeff or Todd. Todd's on Dennis's list, the Georgia um, offensive coordinator. Jeff obviously would be a return to the because you know Paul Johnson came from Navy. You would be bringing the option back and. I mean, if you are, wasn't that why they ran off Paul Johnson? Like they were yeah, tired yeah. of the option, which makes he is no passing sense. a lot more now, though. Like I, yes. I, I think he's passing a lot more this year. Uh, if you want to go conspiracy to showcase that, oh, he yeah, hundred percent out of there. Like they are throwing no. the ball a lot more than they usually do at Army. Oh, and hundred percent—that's what he's doing. He's and he's, I would love to see it kind of long Tom's line of thinking is yeah, use a lot of those concepts that people don't see and don't like but throw in some wrinkles, put it in the shotgun, let a quarterback throw it that can, because you do have like clearly at army, you have limitations of the type of athlete you're going to get. And some of the quarterback play there has just been, you know, it's an athlete playing quarterback. You get somebody who can actually play quarterback, then you can throw it and you don't have to throw it 40, 50 times a game. You just have to throw it 20, 25. And all of a sudden that offense becomes really complicated to shut down. What's the best? What is what is the ceiling? The best possible hire that you could imagine for Georgia Tech? Jamie Chadwell. Chadwell. <laughs> somebody, Why somebody, not? Isn't he the <laughs> somebody in the chat said Kirby's going to get bored and just want the challenge? <laughs> Kirby's like, yeah, I'll go take it. What I do mean, you think? I, th- I think of coaches that they could reasonably get. It's Chadwell. What about Lance Leipold? That was an interesting one. Lance Will Leipold's just dropped not in the chat. Kansas for Georgia Tech. You don't leave. I mean, I understand that yeah, Kansas I don't is on the border, but like if Lance Leipold leaves Kansas, it's going to be for a program that he feels like can win conference titles and get to the playoff. I don't think anybody looks at Georgia Tech that way. If you were power ranking the job, the three power five jobs that are open, is it Nebraska one, then Georgia Tech, then sexy Iowa? Or is it? Uh, <laughs> no, it's no, Arizona, Arizona State. State. Yeah. Okay. O- over Georgia Tech, not, not over Nebraska. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm not saying it now, but I think there's a case to be made that 10, 15 years from now, Arizona State's a better job than Nebraska. Do they get drafted into the Super League if if we think two big Super Leagues are coming? Uh, I think that they are desired by the Big 12 right now, and the Pac-12 very much wants to keep them. So if we see movement there, they're going to go to one of the remaining power conferences. I don't think they're Big Ten or SEC, but I'm just saying, if like you've talked about it on the show, like with the population demographics of people leaving California for yeah. the state, you look at Nebraska right now, it's that's not happening there. So I think that, you know, down the line, Arizona State might be a much better job than Nebraska. The, the, the key difference will be if Nebraska's the money it's getting from the Big Ten will probably hold it off for a while, though. We agree Georgia Tech will go offense, though. Right. Or at least figurehead who agrees to bring in an exciting offense or a unique offense. I if think it's a defense, can't do this again with, with, no. with the ticket sales. No, if it's defensive, then it's got to be somebody with previous head coaching experience who's also a good recruiter. Right. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie Strong. Mm. I, I Who is floating? You'd be excited if you're a Georgia Tech fan and you hired no. Charlie Strong. I Listen, Charlie Strong has about the same record as Steve Sarkeesian. I wouldn't be excited if we hired Steve Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. I think Sarkeesian oh, has the upside. <laughs> but, I mean, Charlie Strong without Teddy Bridgewater as a head coach. Not great. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Right? He he captained South Florida with Willie's players, and Willie had built up a really nice roster at USF before things started to go, you know, go south with him as a head coach. 10-2. and Utter net. Texas never had a winning season. Louisville without, without Bridgewater. Not okay. good. What Galaxy, about- Galaxy brain thinking here. If you've got recruiting restrictions, then you're not losing recruiting battles. Dan Mullen, this is the job for you. I actually thought about this. Now, he lives yeah. in Atlanta now. Mm. Like, that would be a – he's very, very good at scheme, I think. But he's also very good on TV, man. If you guys watch Dan Mullen, like, ESPN hit on one there. That That's uh, – and on, 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 on audio, too. Like, when he can just cut loose and he's not limited to 10 seconds for, for a little TV you know, snippet. Maybe he doesn't want to coach. He's enjoying uh, doing wakeboarding quite a bit, it appears, uh, via Twitter and Instagram. But that's where he's living right now. I, I could see it. Any what other about, names? Somebody uh, else mentioned it in the chat, too. He would what win. Bronco Mendenhall. He's at Virginia, which faced kind of a similar situation as far as who you can recruit. He's familiar in the ACC. He's got a podcast right now with our old uh, colleague, Brian Fisher. 
And I, the very first episode was Bronco Mendenhall talking about how much of a healthier mindset he's in not being a college football coach. <laughs> if Sounds he like just Urban. automatically moved past that and took the Georgia Tech job, that would be a surprise. See how he feels in November. That would be a very that would be a change in um, tone. Here's one from producer Jordan in the chat. I think it's interesting. What about Jeff Levy? Hmm. I think him to Arizona State might make – and if we're talking about what jobs are better, I think if I'm him, I'm going to Arizona State all day long over Georgia Tech. Do you think Arizona State will go coordinator? Because I kind of feel like they they need somebody with head coaching experience with some like head coaching chops at the college level to come in there given how much of a mess that place is. But if they went coordinator, I could totally see it, Danny. Mm. I think, yeah, I think Levy would be a good hire for either. lot to uh, – I mean, again, it's September 26th. They're also firing their athletic director. Long way to go. Total upheaval at Georgia Tech. We will continue to uh, keep you up to date on all the latest from that coaching search. Okay. So uh, we used to have a segment on Mondays called AP versus coaches. It was a good way for us to react to the new AP top 25 poll, coaches poll, the new college football rankings. I think it's time, like so many things in this show in life, that, that we evolve and that we take things to the next level. So, gentlemen, if it's okay with you, I would like to introduce a new segment that I'm calling Poll Assassin. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Inspired by... Do we have a a header for this? Or uh, do do we have a um, a photo for this for the YouTube segment? Please tell me Jordan has one mocked up. (laughs) What what are those monkeys called? What kind of monkey is it? The the, the monkey attacking the AP poll? Yeah. 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 Jordan, get to work on this third show. You need the monkey... Uh, attacking the AP poll. So yeah, inspired by Gary Parrish's poll attacks on the college basketball side of thing. And as we approach the one year anniversary of uh, the monkey, allegedly, wait, no, there's no allegedly. Are there, is there still an ongoing court case about the monkey biting the kid during trick or treating? It happened. It happened. Okay. <laughs> so as we are coming up on the one year anniversary of the poll assassin uh, there in Austin, Texas, we will begin uh, using this time to hold the polls uh, accountable for their actions because there's some preposterous behavior. And I think it, it fits better with sort of where we are at as a group and where the rankings have been recently. So, Tom, you... <laughs> How'd I know? <laughs> you, you, you started, you, you laid it out there. You said, look, here are all the reasons why Kansas needs to be ranked. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, like we don't even need to nitpick all of these other teams though you made a great case on twitter about the number 14 team in the country and what the blind resume test would turn out right there i mean what would you make of the jayhawks falling just short of the top 25 in the ap poll and even a little further from the picture uh in the coaches poll as well i don't want to attack the voters themselves because i understand that you have to have your ballot in by a deadline on Sunday morning. And by the time you're done with everything you have to do for your job on Saturday night, it's really difficult to take in the entire landscape of college football to come up with a comprehensive top 25 based on logic and what you're actually seeing. Instead, the whole, you know, kind of slider mentality where team move up, team move down, team move out, who had big win, replace them with the open, with the gap. I understand it. But there is absolutely no way in hell Kansas should not be ranked, considering the other teams that are ranked and where they are ranked. Uh, I mentioned this on the show. I'll go a little deeper. I used Ole Miss as an example on the show Saturday night, but I've got a much better comparison case here. Kansas's win over Duke. They now have two wins over Power 5 teams, and they have two road wins. And I asked you guys on the show Saturday night how many other 4-0 teams could match that on their resume. Well, I looked it up. I've got the answer. Of the 21 undefeated teams remaining, Only 12, including Kansas, have two wins against Power 5 opponents. Of those 12 teams, only three can also say they have two road wins. Kansas, USC, and Penn State. USC is ranked number six this week. It started in the preseason at number 14. It has moved up every week because it wins games, and that's what happens when you win games. Penn State wasn't ranked. Penn State is 4-0. Penn State is number 11. Penn State has pretty much an equivalent resume to Kansas. Kansas is not ranked. So what's the difference between Penn State and Kansas that gets Penn State up to number 11 and Kansas can't crack the top 25? Hmm. I wonder why that is. 
is it because one is in the Big Ten and is supposed to be good, whereas the other is in the Big 12 and nobody expected it to be good, so nobody pays any attention to the fact that how it's playing? So, hey, why rank it? It's Kansas. It can't be that good. It's just – it's crap. That's what it is. Kansas is one of the 25 best teams in the country right now, and the fact that it's not ranked just shows the flaws in the AP voter system. I mean, the, Oklahoma has no quality wins. No, it's, and that's the other thing. Like, Oklahoma's ranked and Kansas State isn't. <laughs> Kansas State's at 25. Okay, but they're 25, but, but they still. Shouldn't, right. Yeah. Isn't this where you kind of go to, it's not just who you play and if you win, but also how do you look? And Kansas has looked good. They should be ranked. I agree with Tom. I think Penn State is too low at 11, to be honest, given their level mm-hmm. of dominance so far. Like, I think Penn State's the top four team in the country right now. So, you know, I mean, to me, uh, maybe it's a little high, but I, I think they're definitely better than everybody listed five through five through nine, uh, because of, of how dominant they have been. You know, so from that standpoint, I, I, I would push back on the Penn State example. No, that saying, but I'm Kansas, saying, yeah, resume have, and quality of team right now has played better. Yeah, I'm just saying in front of them. Penn State and Kansas have similar resumes, and yeah. one of them is ranked 11th. Another one, one of them didn't even appear on the majority of ballots. Makes no damn sense unless it's just, uh, okay, they were here this week. I'm going to move them up. What's a team that I know that had a good game this week? Okay, I'll put them in. We are also here uh, in week four, and we're already suffering from quality loss disease as Pitt is able to hang on in the top 25 ahead of Kansas State, Kansas, Cincinnati, uh, and... Oh, and Florida. Florida's 29th, and it's 2-2. Two and two. Florida's yeah, point silly. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like if Kansas is if, if Florida uh, whatever, I'm just gonna get all worked up here. <laughs> Do you realize I I love this college poll tracker? Sam McEwan, I like calling him out of the Omaha world record has Florida ranked twelfth, thirteenth. He still has them thirteenth. Yep. <laughs> Quality like, loss disease. Uh, Sam's been too down Nebraska coaching candidates to have time to actually watch the other maybe, games. Like, maybe so. Maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's what it is. Um, I think, you know, I can't help myself to accuse SEC bias, but it really is. And Tom, you hit it. Brand bias. There's absolutely a brand bias towards teams that have historically been good and have recognizable helmets and recognizable coaches and history and tradition where if you don't, like Kansas, like James Madison, like some of these other schools, that you have to do twice as much to get half the credit. And it's it's ridiculous. And here's where it bothers me the most, because I, I found myself, you know, mixing it up some with some SEC fans on some of the, uh, you know, I posted the resume between Kentucky's resume and Kansas's resume. And of course, what comes back is, oh, we got a road win against a top 25 opponent. And they might even put top 15 because it was Florida. Texas A&M fans, they're coming at me today because I called them out. They're saying, oh, we have two top 25 wins. You think Miami is still a top 25 team? Well, yeah, they yeah they had a ranking in front. Of them. We beat them. That's the problem with the whole system is that fans and I think a lot of writers and people that cover the game recognize those wins using a top 25 metric, which as we point out every single week is severely flawed so that let's say – who does Kansas play this week? I believe uh, Iowa State. Yeah, so let's yeah. say Iowa let's say Iowa State beats Kansas. Like they won't get as much credit for a Big win because loss. it's not a top 25. You know, it's not top 25 win, you know? Uh, it's just the and the if absurdity. Iowa State, they'll say, "Well, Iowa State's clearly not that good." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they're down this year. They're no good. It's would you guys be in favor of using, I don't want to say computer, but like a point system, yeah. you know, like, Hey, the, and it combines power five teams, you know, what you get, you know, X amount of points for a power five, win. you get a, a, X times a half for a p- power five, win on the road, group of five wins, you get this one group of five on the road, you get this FCS, you get zero or whatever you want to do it. And just put together a system that com- and the combined record. Somehow you'd put the records, you know, over 500. You'd have a metric in there so that you'd weight the schedules and be able to come up with a better system than we have now. That's you who would love that. <laughs> who? Vanderbilt, Northwestern, Colorado, all of these P5 teams who would look at the metric and realize, oh my gosh, 
we're going to get like five million dollars to play a non-conference game because teams will be able to game the system that, that they can pay us a little bit extra, get it, get an automatic win, and in, instead of p- playing like a, I, I can't use Boise anymore, Fresno, right? Uh, well, that's a Northern Illinois thought. Ah, yeah. how'd that work out? Yeah, <laughs> hey, don't disrespect Northern Illinois. That's one of Kentucky's best wins. And Kentucky's a top ten team. Tom, yeah, I can one up yeah. most egregious who egregious almost and was in a dogfight with Northern Illinois too. Guys, yeah. guys, Tom hey, two hundred seventy yards at Florida, man, got got to respect it. NFL quarterback, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom Murphy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. This is his ballot from the following week. I will only list the top five: Georgia, one; Ohio State, two; Alabama, three; Michigan, four. And the Kentucky Wildcats at number five. Mm-hmm. So Tom is a playoff voter. Just, <laughs> yes. Tom Murphy, not Tom Fernelli. Uh, yeah. So Kentucky as high as five. I shout out to Reddit CFB. You know, you always put together a graphic with all the logos that makes it very easy to spot the um, the the logos that stand out. And that big blue UNK. Uh, at number five, that is that is the high point for a Wildcats team that finished at number seven, four and zero with its best win against a Florida team that is currently unranked. Tom also has seven SEC teams in his top sixteen. <laughs> I also think too, there's there's very much dislike I think towards Clemson. Like I, I, we've talked a lot about Clemson's struggles though, and where they are. I haven't noticed that based on today's Twitter interactions at all. <laughs> but Clemson should be above Michigan if you went solely off resume. Yeah, I oh, think, yeah. and they're not I, getting. I, so that's another one where the ACC, the perception of the ACC, hurts it. Ah, it's Wake Forest. Wake Forest isn't that. That was a tough environment to go into against a great quarterback, a great offensive scheme. Now the defense has concerns with Clemson, which we're talking about, but that's like that's not seen as a good quality win, and I think it absolutely should be for the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, I, I do the playoff projection at the end of the Monday after every week based on what I think the committee would do this week. And yeah, I got I put Clemson at number four. I think they would put them out of Michigan right now. Wait, you'd put them behind? Wait, no, ahead I think the of committee Michigan. would have them above. Yeah, I had yeah. I had it was Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson was what I projected the college football playoff to do this week if it put out rankings, which it doesn't yet, but I'm sure it will someday. And don't you think Ohio State should be number two based on resume and how they've looked? Uh, Especially yeah. with Notre Dame, House and Notre, uh, North Carolina, the way they did. Like that win looks a little bit better. But I think you can make an argument that Alabama has more impressive win with the Texas win than any but that they- Ohio State has. Because I don't it think they on could have, should have lost if the Danny's, officials called it right. But Danny's using the term resume, I think, only meet, only meaning who you beat, not really considering how much they beat them by, mm-hmm. which is part of your resume, too. If you want to go just on like strength of record, which is a metric, I think that like what Danny's saying resume is more aligning closely to how I think of strength of record, where it's just who did you beat, not really taking into consideration how did you look? I think there's anti-Clemson bias because there's carryover from last year when we saw their offense look look poor and they did not look in sync on the national TV game Sunday night against Georgia Tech. Like, How many people have watched Clemson not since many. the Georgia Tech game? So that's probably still their impression. We'll, we'll see what they think this weekend in a game played in a hurricane. We, can I just bring up one more thing about the pole assassin here? Yeah, just it's not really something I want to attack. It's just something that very much amuses me. Well, this is what we're we're going to eat. Pole assassin's just too good of a name. We'll just yeah. use, like listen. Mm-hmm. We're still going to call this college football rankings, AP top twenty-five poll reaction scores and results in the headlines. You know, whatever we need to call it. But no, a pole um, assassin is a thousand times better. Yeah, pole assassin <laughs> is what we, you know, those of us in on uh, in on it will be will be calling it. So yes, go ahead, Tom. I just wanted to mention last week Tulane beat Kansas State. Did not appear on a single AP ballot. This week, Tulane lost to Southern Miss, but Kansas State beat Oklahoma. Tulane got a vote from David Briggs, who put them at number 23 after it lost to Southern Miss when he didn't rank it the week before. That was a late comeback. There was, a, I think, a, a pick six in that game. I can see going to bed, having your thing already 
you know, done and turn that in. I'll, I'll well, give yeah. David the benefit of the doubt. It has yeah, to be, right? I, I will too. But again, that goes to my flaw of the fact that they have to have their ballots in so early. So, so many of these voters are doing this before the day's games have finished. I think, I don't know if they can, but if I'm the AP, I'm the coach's poll, I'm pushing the deadline until Sunday night and I'm just releasing the poll on Monday morning. Because, I mean, why are you releasing a poll on Sunday morning right before NFL kickoff anyway? Well, because it comes out early enough to where the aggregators get it and it hits the newswire and like you get a, you get a decent little pop in like the 90 minutes before the NFL kicks off. If you do it Sunday night, people are going to bed, they're getting ready for work tomorrow, they're they're catching up on NFL games. But experiment, experiment with see what kind of pop you get on Monday morning instead. I mean, that would that would be that would be one less call for an AP poll reaction video on Sunday at 2:15. Would <laughs> <laughs> love that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Team Monday release. Team Monday, Monday release. How much Coming do you up. think the vote? Oh, go ahead. I don't want to hey, bog us down. How much do you think the voters could defend their picks? Like, yeah, I had Florida at thirteen, and here's why. I think you can defend any opinion for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I that was Ralph. Know. Ralph Russo's a good guy. He's an AP. Like he's an AP writer. He does. I did he his got podcast this morning. Yeah, he he I, and. I think he was just kind of pointing out what everyone is saying is, oh, these are all opinions and mine could be different than yours, which I get. But some of them are so off base. I feel like they should have to explain themselves at least as opposed to, I don't know, maybe you cover them in your region or, you know, for what I don't know. I think some of them should be you just have to defend. It's my ballot. End of conversation. You know, (laughs) so ridiculous. Anyway, but it's, it's one of the reasons, the things that makes the sport so great, the arguments. Coming up on the other side, we need to give some time to some of the games who weren't able to hit in the Instant Reaction podcast, as well as some of the details that we got as we scanned back over everything that happened. It's upon further review, and it's next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, upon further review, I think is a, a good chance on, for us to also spin it forward based uh, not just on the way that the games went down, but also what's ahead. And I saw in the chat, we, we want to talk a little Miami. We want to talk a little Texas. I, I would add maybe Michigan State to this conversation. We've got some teams that have got a couple losses where I think it's interesting to s- sort of recenter our focus and recenter our expectations of what's ahead uh, for this group. Where do you all want to start? Uh, should we call it buyer's remorse? <laughs> it's top 20 teams with two losses after week I four. Mean, yeah. And week four after they either just paid a coach a tremendous amount of money off an extension that might have been given too early, or you paid somebody a boatload of money to take them in from a different school, or you paid guys through the transfer portal to come in and play. There's a bunch of reasons you could look at it for having buyer's remorse. Um, I'll go wherever you guys want to start. There you got it. Where do you want to go? Let's go to Miami because I do think benching Tyler Van Dyke was one of those, how bad is this going to get? And that's the one thing I was very curious to see how this would all go, especially when they were looking for an offensive coordinator. Who are they going to bring in? I was concerned about Tyler Van Dyke because he flourished last year and he was ever, you know, everybody's looking at him as a potential top five pick and he put up incredible numbers. What were they? 25 touchdowns, six interceptions, I think, somewhere around that. An impressive year. Looks like a surefire lock. And then when they brought in Gaddis, whatever number it was, they will tell you they will not, you know, Miami fans will not admit that there might have been a search that went through a couple guys that maybe didn't want the job. But when they hired Josh Gaddis, I was wondering about fit for the system, newer system, learning, uh, you know, all over again. And I, 
I think there's a I think if you're Miami, you worry about losing Tyler Van Dyke, who's an incredibly talented player. But if you start messing with a quarterback psyche, you start pulling him out of games, if you bench him, and by the way, the backup is pretty good in Garcia, yeah. like this thing could change in a and then the other thing, and I've felt this firsthand as a Florida State guy, is when things there's so much excitement and there's so much energy and positivity around a hire and new guys coming in and just infusion of life that you're just expecting, man, we're going to be nine, 10 win team all day long. And then when it goes against you, how does the team respond? And I'm very curious to see what Miami does from this point forward. Do they keep it on the rails? Does it keep going or does a team, because it, I don't want to say they shut it down. They clearly did not show up in that game and they got jumped all over, but this isn't the days, and trust me, again, as a Florida State guy, you can't just kind of go through the motions and show up and be like, ah, well, we'll show up and we'll win. Teams will beat you now, and that's I think it's something to watch out for because you don't want to lose all that momentum. Texas last year is a good example. You know, Sark comes in, oh, he's going to turn around this offense, and then, you know, you lose to Kansas and you're 5-7, and seven, and then you're salvaged by getting Quinn, you, uh, Arch Manning, you know, it's a huge recruiting class. But I think it's something to keep an eye on for Miami. Like the honeymoon is over, clearly. Oh yeah, without a yeah. doubt. Well, so what's where does it? Tyler Van Dyke should do is if Jake Garcia is going to be the guy going forward, should support Jake. Should support the team. He should also go to Illinois. Portal and go to Illinois in an yeah. office that will utilize him correctly and know how to get the best out of him and improve his draft stock. So Tyler, that's what you should do. Be a good cane, and then start shopping for Illini gear. I'm not going to give other shows our ideas. So I'm not going to say what I want to say about this, but like we have a very fun show coming. Um, not not the, the Kent State one that we're going to record in a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, guys, what quarterback has looked good under Mario Cristobal's head coaching tenure? I mean, Herbert, people blamed Arroyo, mm-hmm. right? Arroyo can't coach offense. Hey, UNLV, that's the guy who couldn't coach Justin Herbert. UNLV is dropping 50 burgers. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying, like, maybe there's something to the idea. Like, I'm not saying Mario's must champ. I don't think he is. I, and I think he will do well there. Like, I want to be clear about that. Miami fans, we poke fun at you because you don't support your team unless it's against a really, really good opponent because you're in an international city with a pro atmosphere, all this other stuff, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he has backing. They will get recruits, and he knows how to run a program. It's not clear that he knows how to run an elite offense. Through 11 seasons, in fact, I think the evidence says that he has not done so. And we'll see if, if they can. But they'll eventually be physical. They'll run the ball well. They'll play good defense. They'll probably hit on QB. But so far, like, I mean, this off last year's Miami team beats this year's Miami team. Oh, with like. They're taking a step back under Mario. Yeah, when you've got Rambo, when you've got. Uh, Harley. Like, mm-hmm. Harley, uh, Rhett Lashley as your offensive coordinator and play caller. I, I, I think that uh, I think that I could buy into that. Um, all right, let's uh, let's turn it to Texas. And uh, I like where Bud started with the conversation in the group chat over the weekend. Uh, but is Texas going to be a bowl team in 2022? It's interesting because, so if you look at Bill Connolly's uh, like post-game win probability, Texas was 97% to win that game. So mm-hmm. Texas Tech got a lot of breaks and should celebrate their win, right? They're, they're not going to give it back. Looking in, into the stats here, Texas did have some very inopportune you know, turnovers and things that they moved the ball pretty well throughout the day. Their defense was not terrible. I mean, they gave up 479 yards, but it was on 100 plays. So Texas Tech was really, really good third and fourth down. I'm a little bit less worried eight about Texas. Times, they? Uh, they went, yeah, they were six of eight on fourth down. Yep. That, that's just not really super repeatable. You know, I mean, you're 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 seven of twenty on third down. All of a sudden, you go six of eight on fourth. It's not that's not real repeatable skill. Kind of like Florida, Tennessee, right? That that game, if they play it again tomorrow, I think Tennessee wins by like seventeen plus. But credit the te- you know credit to Texas Tech for for doing what what they did on fourth down. I'm just not as worried about Texas as I was before I rewatched them this morning. Because Tom in the group chat was like, they're definitely making a bowl unless something you know, as long as yours comes back. As long as yours is healthy, yeah, yeah. And you're I, right. He's coming back too. I, I think I think they'll be fine. I think they'll make a bowl, but I, I think they get seven wins. I think they could still get eight as long as Ewers stays healthy. I, I mean, I think offensively they're very talented. I think defensively they're not 
where you need to be to really compete for conference titles yet, which is their goal ultimately. But I think they're better than they were last year, which is a significant step forward. Like, I think it's a good team, and I think it's getting better. And I think if yours is healthy, they're probably the third or fourth best team in the Big 12. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas, and Baylor all still left on the schedule. It's going to get uh, awfully, awfully tricky. But the Big 12 is wacky. Like it's, I think there's a lot of teams that play on a level playing field, including Texas on that playing field. But I think Quinn Ewers. What, here's the thing that's crazy. I I think he's incredible, but we really didn't see him that much. No, but I was sold on. I, I know I was too. I was too. But like, all right, if he if he's that version all year long, then they could get eight wins and they'll be fine. But I think they're probably seven wins when it all settles. It's it's funny to me because you and I were both like skeptical. Yeah. It was all offseason. Like, I don't know, man. You see these videos. It's like the mechanics are all messed <laughs> up. What's he going to do against real teams? And then we both see him for like five minutes against Alabama. We're both like, we're on board. He's yeah. great. That's I Patrick want, Mahomes Jr. <laughs> I want to be his agent. <laughs> there is only one team in the Big Ten that has a worse record than Michigan State right now, and it is Nebraska. Now, you know, this is... The, the, is it panic time, or did you just lose to two really good teams in Washington and Minnesota in back-to-back weeks? Because you still have Ohio State. You still have Michigan. You still have Penn State. You still have the mighty Illinois. You still got some tough games left on the schedule, and now you've got a very interesting one going to College Park to play a Maryland team that was frisky against those Wolverines. What's it? I mean, What's it looking like for Mel Tucker and the Spartans coming off that year where – they come into this season, top 15, top 20 style team. You know, you look the part more or less in back-to-back wins against Mac teams. And and again, now we're sitting here with a two and two record. Nebraska, the only team in the Big Ten with a worst record. Uh, I guess Northwestern too. Did I miss Northwestern? Uh, yeah, Northwestern's one and three. So Northwestern and Nebraska, the only teams with a worse record than Michigan State right now. So what does the future look like for Sparty? Uh, is this just a, a matter of playing two really good teams in a row? Or do you think that there's some big issues uh, as we start to project moving forward? I think there are issues because, like you say, it's they played two really good teams in a row. Okay, well, Michigan State's supposed to be one of the really good teams in the Big Ten. And you're losing them you know, by 11 on the road at Washington, and then you lose at home to, to Minnesota by 27. Like, I could understand if you lose at home to Minnesota, fine, because I do think Minnesota's a good team. But you lose by 27? There are problems, and I think that if you look at what's going on, this is a team that it's the same problems they faced last year. They just aren't having the same kind of look offensively that they dealt with. They can't stop the pass. Like, if you look at their EPA per drop back, they rank 98th nationally. Now, maybe that's not, quote, dead-ass last, but it is still a serious problem that they're dealing with, and I don't know that there is an easy fix. And if you look at their schedule, they've got a road game against Maryland coming up. What does Maryland do well? Throw the ball. After that, they've got a home game against Ohio State. What does Ohio State do well? Throw the ball. We're looking at a team that by the time they play Wisconsin in mid-October, they could be two and four. Like if Michigan State loses to Maryland this weekend, it will not be a surprise to me because that Maryland team that I saw playing Michigan last week is much better than I thought. Like they played well. They have a good offensive line. They have a solid defense. They have great corners from what I've seen so far. They match up really well with a lot of teams. Like I'm looking at the Big Ten East right now, and I think the three best teams are Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. I think Maryland is the fourth best team in that division. Yeah, we'll know a lot more about Sparty after this week, after the game against the Terps. But I tell you, losing to two good teams is one thing, but the way you lose at home is another one. They got outrushed 240 to 38. Mm. That to me is an effort thing, and that becomes you're getting pushed around and you know, like bullied a little bit. That doesn't seem to me like a Mel Tucker team. So that would be a cause for concern. Like, where was this? And that was something I actually noticed against. Uh, I was in studio on Friday night with a Boise State UTEP team. That's when we were, we came on after, after they lost to the minors. And I was like, you, this is a sign that a team is not responding to the coach. Now, that's clearly two different programs and there are different situations. But if you start seeing them get pushed around, that's a major cause for concern. The other thing, too, is, Mel Tucker built last year's team through the transfer portal. I think that's a really 
it's not a sure thing by any means. And I think we're seeing that because he tried to do it again, you know, and last year it was Kenneth Walker. This year it's Jalen Berger um, trying to, you know, tote the rock for them. And I think sometimes you might catch magic, but more times than not, it's going to take longer to develop continuity, to get guys up to speed in the system. And I don't want to trash all transfers, but sometimes you get guys that might not just been good enough mm-hmm. and, or, or they didn't like adversity and they wanted like, that's why I kind of I get why Dabo is anti-transfer portal, and I have evolved in my views of the transfer portal. I definitely think there are instances where absolutely you should go. You guys are in the simulation right there, by the way. <laughs> that was really weird. We need to, that was perfectly synced up. Um, I think like there is something to that, and there are going to be risks that you're going to have to take in the portal. Sometimes it'll hit, sometimes it won't. Mm. So they will hit a stretch in November where they get Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana. Right, pivotal. Yeah, they, yeah. they should win those. Right? Run it. Yep. But, but where's the mindset of that team? I think it is. It's going to be really interesting to see in a tough challenge for Mel Tucker. Tom, you got anything else you want to spotlight in a pun for the review before we get out of here? Yeah, we were watching USC Oregon State kind of while we were doing the reaction show on Saturday. So I, I, I watched it since. I have like USC's offense is good. I still have absolutely no idea what to make of that defense. Like it's not bad. But it's not good. And, you know, like Danny was calling Arizona State, what, sexy Iowa? Yeah. I think USC is Instagram model Iowa. <laughs> what? In that, like, it, it looks really good, but you're not sure that it actually offers anything. Because, like, they have forced, again, USC leads the nation in turnover margin. I think it's, I can't remember how many total it is, but they've got, like, 14 turnovers, and they haven't turned the ball over once themselves. But the better way to look at it is USC has forced a turnover on 33% of their defensive possessions. Not sustainable. Like Iowa has never even approached those numbers. So USC is relying a little too much on turning the ball over and on from a down to down basis. Like if you look it's success rate, like that's one thing I saw, like they played well against Oregon state in that they didn't let Oregon state score, which is the name of the game. But from like a play by play down by down basis, I didn't think they were that outstanding. I think they just kind of bowed up or turned the ball over at the right times because success rate, they rank 101st nationally, but points per drive, they rank 61st. If you look at, you know, red zone scores per drive, they rank 43rd. So it's like, it's a lot of weird numbers, and I'm not sure what to make of what this USC defense actually is. And it's going to be really interesting as they get into the heart of their Pac-12 schedule when they have to start playing some of the better teams in the Pac-12. Like, I have no question that they're going to score points. It's just when they, when the turnovers stop, and someday, it might not be every week, but there's going to be a Saturday where they're not going to force a turnover. And maybe their offense, because we've seen Caleb Williams turn the ball over a few times himself back at Oklahoma, what happens in those games? I want to see. I want. I need to find out because again, it's like I watched it. It's like from down to down. I see a lot of flaws, but overall, it's been good. Um, I'm gonna throw one last one out here. Uh, Parker Stats War on Twitter puts together a graphic I like a lot using net success rate. You know your success rate on mm-hmm. offense, success rate on defense, and he he calls the chart. Did we really get beat that bad? using net success rate as a great example of this. So the number one most lopsided defeat was Western Kentucky over FIU, 73 to nothing. Not surprising. Number two was LSU over New Mexico. Number three was NC State over UConn. Number four was Notre Dame over North Carolina. Yep. And North Carolina might be tucking themselves into bed with 30 points on the board, but in terms of being able to get the yards that you needed to be successful on a down-to-down basis and limit Notre Dame from being pushed around, your loss to Notre Dame was as bad as NC State beating UConn and on the same level as Alabama beating Vandy. So while the final margin might have said that that was close, at least through the lens of net success rate, Notre Dame's win over North Carolina was as lopsided as Alabama's win over Vandy or NC State's win over UConn. And I... I, th- I think that is both a credit to Notre Dame, but also a uh, a cold, cold shower for North Carolina as the Tar Heels begin to look forward. Yeah, the Tar Heels are three and one because they have a very good quarterback, but the Tar Heels are not a good football team. No, tough, tough, tough times ahead because there's like a bunch of no win situations. Virginia Tech's coming to town. 
it's either really bad or it's like, oh, it was just Virginia Tech. Then Miami. I don't know. Interesting couple weeks ahead for mm-hmm. uh, for the Tar Heels as they've got to uh, figure out exactly what it's going to look like trying to uh, to level themselves out after a very disappointing defeat at the hands of the Fighting Irish. Anything else? Uh, no, other than Illinois, by the way, is number one in defensive success rate nationally, and they're number four in my chaos rate. So just we don't talk enough about Illinois on this podcast. They're really good. Illinois, Wisconsin under principle. No. No? No. Well, another play? Just saying, I think Illinois might score points on this Wisconsin defense. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Brunell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.